0: Good morning, church. Thank you for being here today and worshiping the Lord with us. We've been in this series called Made for Each Other, and I was thinking as I was preparing this that I don't think I've ever met a married couple that didn't start out happy and in love. Like I've never had anybody come to and say, Pastor, uh, we'd we'd like for you to marry us, but we don't think we're going to make it. That's not the way they start out. They always come to you, and they're in love, and rightly so. They, they want to get married because they're in love. And on their wedding day, uh, you stand there in front of the bride and the groom, and it's just so evident. You know, tears are coming down her cheek, and he's fighting back the tears. And, and when they kiss, I mean, it's a kiss. I mean, you know, you can tell they really mean it. And I mean, they're, they're just in love. What they don't realize at that moment is this. Falling in love is the easy part. Marriage is the hard part. Can I get an amen? Listen, it's never been easier to fall in love. Do you know that there are over 1,500 organizations and websites in America today that can help you connect with somebody? 1,500. It's never been easier to fall in love, but it's never been more difficult to stay in love. See, the hard part is not the wedding. That might be the expensive part, but that's not the hard part. The hard part is not the wedding. The hard part is the marriage. Over the, next, over the last few Sundays, we've been looking at the fact that, that marriage is designed by God, and it's, it's designed to be this, watch, it's designed to be two becoming one. That's what we've been looking at the last two Sundays. But what we're going to look at today is this. How is it that we sometimes get to the point where one becomes two again? Last week, we talked about how to marry the right person. How do you marry the right person? That's what we talked about last Sunday. Today, we're going to talk about this. What do you do when you've married the wrong, per- the wrong person? How do, how do you handle that? I mean, relationships are supposed to be forever, but what happens when those relationships don't last forever? I can't tell you the number of times over the years that a couple has come in or an individual has come in and said this to me. I cannot tell you the number of times this has happened where I've heard people say, Pastor, I don't love him anymore. Pastor, I don't love her anymore. The problem is not that they were never in love. They used to be in love. They started out in love. When they went to the marriage altar, they were in love. It's not that they weren't in love to begin with. The problem is they don't end that way. Love seems somehow to have dissipated, love seems to have faded, love seems to have gone away. So I've been wondering this week, how how do you go from a relationship where where there is such passion that you want to merge together to create a family, and you go from that to there's such animosity that you're willing to break up that family? How does something that promises so much pleasure produce so much pain? How does something that promises so much intimacy end with both parties only talking through attorneys? Falling in love is a great thing. Can I get an amen? Falling in Come on now. Falling in love is a great thing. Can I get an amen? Yes. Falling in love is a great thing. Staying in love is a great challenge. Do you know there's a love story in the Bible that illustrates what I'm wanting to show you today? There's a love story in the Bible that is just one of those fairy tale type of love stories. It's found in the book of 1 Samuel. Would you open God's Word to 1 Samuel chapter 18? Let me give you the context while you're turning to that. King Saul, the the king of Israel, had a man in his kingdom that he feared. It was a young man, and the young man's name was David. King Saul feared David because he seemed to be more popular in his kingdom than King Saul was. King Saul was always scheming, trying to find a way to get rid of David. Trying to find a way to get rid of his nemesis. He was always scheming, trying to have David killed. One day, Saul finds out something about his youngest daughter. And it did not disturb him. It actually excited him. Here's what he found out. Verse 20. uh, Chapter 18 of 1 Samuel. Verse 20. Now Saul's daughter, Michael, was in love with David. And when they told Saul about it, he was pleased. Isn't that strange? He was pleased that his daughter was in love with his his arch enemy. But the reason he was pleased was because his mind was so twisted, he saw an opportunity to use his young daughter as a way to get David out of the picture. So he convinced David that in order to become her husband, all he had to do was was fight some of Saul's enemies, and if he would kill a hundred of Saul's enemies, he could have the hand of Michael in marriage. Saul's intent was, if he goes out in battle to kill these hundred men, he will be killed in the process, and my problem is solved. So knowing that his daughter, is Michael, is in love with David, Saul sends David out to battle, and David is victorious. And we pick up this story in uh, verse 27, chapter 18. Verse 27. Well, let's start verse 26. When the attendants told David these things, that is the plan that that Saul said, listen, you just got to go kill 100 of my enemies. He was pleased to become the king's son-in-law. So before the the allotted time elapsed, David and his men went out, killed 200 Philistines rather than 100, wanted to make sure that he got it covered, killed 200 Philistines of Saul's enemies, and he brought their foreskin and presented the full number to the king so that he might become the king's son-in-law. Then Saul gave him his daughter Michael in marriage. Verse 28 When Saul realized that the Lord was with David and that his daughter Michael loved David, Saul became still more afraid of him. So here's what we don't have time to deal in in this whole mess, but here's what I want you to understand. Michael loved David. In fact, in 1 Samuel chapter 16, we, we won't turn there, but in 1 Samuel 16, it says that David was a handsome young man. It describes David in that chapter, and it describes him as a very handsome young man. And when Michael looked into the eyes of David, she saw the man she wanted to marry. She saw the man she wanted to spend the rest of her life with. When she looked into the eyes of David, she was captivated. And so finally, the wedding day comes. And they're married. And it probably was a storybook wedding. I mean, think about this. The king's daughter having a royal wedding, marrying the man of her dreams. It probably was a storybook wedding. You remember when you first got married? Now, now you probably didn't, it wasn't probably as elaborate, but it was, it was a, a dream for you, wasn't it? You, you met the man of your dreams, you met the lady of your dreams. Do you remember when you first got married? Do you remember how long you just kind of looked at each other and, and you couldn't believe this was happening to you? And I mean, you found your soulmate. You had a great honeymoon, you set up your house or your apartment, and it was just fun to decide where the dishes go, and what are we going to put on that wall, and, and all of those kind of things, and, and you talked all the time, and you held hands, and, and you kissed, and you snuggled in the front of the TV. I mean, it was just so fun, it was just so new, it was just so wow, right? Well, maybe not for you, but for Lisa and I it was, I don't know about, I don't know about for the rest of you, but. It was so fun and it was so new. It was just so wow. And that's the story of David and Michael. They had a storybook fairy tale wedding. And it says twice in the text Michael loved David. If we had the time, we'd read a lot more material, but we're going to fast forward to the next book, 2 Samuel. And in 2 Samuel chapter 6, an unexpected turn occurs. Second Samuel chapter 6, years passed and David is now king. He's no longer the king's son-in-law, now he is king, king of Israel. And because of his desire to honor God in his life and to honor God in his kingdom, David decides to, to bring the ark of God back to Jerusalem. And in 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 16, let's just start reading the story. As the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michael, daughter of Saul, watched from a window, and when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, watch this, she despised him in her heart. Wow. She despised him. That's a strong word. She despised him in her heart. Now, this is where the story gets even worse. David takes the ark back, puts it where it belongs, and then he decides to go home. Now, keep in mind, guys, let me have your attention. Men, have you ever gone home and didn't know what you're about to walk into? Yeah, (laughs) man. And you're about to walk into it again when you get home. (laughs) <laughs> David goes home, and he goes home excited. He can't wait to tell his wife what he's done. He can't wait to tell his wife what he's accomplished. You know, there's the one person that you want to, to be happy for you and be happy with you is your wife. The one person that, that you want to say, well, good job, honey, is your wife. And so he's excited, and he's coming home, and, and he's going to tell Michael what he's done. He doesn't know that she's been looking from the window. And he comes home to tell Michael, and and here's how the story goes. Uh, Verse 20. When David returned home to bless his household, see, he's positive, he's excited, I'm going to go home and bless my household. When he returned home to bless his household, Michael, daughter of Saul, came out to meet him and said, how the king of Israel has distinguished himself today, disrobing in the sight of the slave girls of his servants as any vulgar fellow would. David said to Michael, it was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father or anyone from his house when he was appointed, and he appointed me ruler over the Lord's people Israel. I will celebrate before the Lord, and I'll become even more undignified than this, and I'll be humiliated in my own eyes, but by these slave girls you spoke of, I'll be held in honor. I don't know about you, I don't think they're getting along. What happened? I thought Michael loved David. She did. At first. See, it's easy to have a love that starts, it's the love that lasts. That's the hard part. She despised him, the Bible says, in her heart. Remember verse 16. Notice what that means. Here's what that means. Hatred filled her heart where where love once lived. Hatred filled her heart towards David where love once lived. The message translation says, her heart was filled with scorn. The New Living Translation says, she was filled with contempt for him. She was just filled with contempt for him. Can't you just sense the anger? Can't you just, just sense the animosity In modern day language, she couldn't stand him and she couldn't stand to be around him. Now, here's the question, here's the question. How do couples get to that point? How do you go from genuinely loving somebody to genuinely despising them? Many couples make a critical mistake and here's what it is. They start out thinking that love is enough to make the marriage work. Think about it. If all you need is love, which is what the song used to say, right? If all you need is love, like the song says, there would never be a divorce because they all start out in love. David and Michael started out in love. But somewhere along the way, something happened to their relationship. We don't know what it was. We don't know when it was. But there, was, there came a day when Michael could look David in the face and say to him, I don't love you anymore. Here's what you need to understand. In America today, that's happening to about 50% of our marriages. Christian or non-Christian, about 50% of our marriages, they go, in, they go into the relationship in love and they end the relationship in hate. Now, 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 think about this. If you were to get on the plane today and Apollo says, Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for flying today, I just want you to know there's about a 50% chance this plane will go down. You probably wouldn't stay on it. And yet we blindly go into relationships knowing that 50% of them are not going to make it. But we think that we will be the exception because we are in love we have the mistaken notion that love is enough to make marriage last. And it's not. What's the problem? Why is love not enough? I'm going to give you the answer. And you're not going to like it. In fact, I told the first crowd, I'll tell you as well. My goal today is that you not hate me when I get done. My goal today is that you will calm down by the end of the message. Because what I'm about to tell you. Do you know why? Let me just go ahead and throw it out there. Do you you know why love is not enough? It's because, watch this, when she stands here to say, I do, when he stands here to say, I do, what you really have is this. You really have two sinners saying, I do. I'll let that sink in for a moment. When sinners say I do, it does not solve all the problems. Wouldn't it be great if it did? Wouldn't it be wonderful if, if when you slide that ring on the finger of, and I stand here and I say, put that, that beautiful ring on the third finger of your bride's left hand. Wouldn't it be wonderful when you slid that ring on, all of a sudden, She's just the perfect woman. Now, you think she's the perfect woman just right then, right? Just wait a couple of months. You'll find out. And she'll find out probably within a few weeks. You say, well, but, Pastor, 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 I know what you're saying that we're sinners, but, Pastor, we are Christians. Did you know 50% of Christian marriages end too? They start out in love. And they end a divorce. Please please understand this. Make sure your theology is correct. When Christ saves us, He does transform us. But it is not an instant change. None of us are non-sinners. None of us are. Marriage is the union of two people who arrive to the altar toting the luggage of life. Now, you didn't see it when they stood up here to get married, but when she was standing here, she brought her baggage with her. And when they went off to the honeymoon, she took her baggage with her. And you didn't see it, but when he was standing here to say, I do, he brought his baggage from life as well. Again, you didn't see it, you didn't know it, everybody was excited. But here's what I know about this luggage. This luggage... Always. Everybody say always. This luggage always contains sin. It always contains sin. Sometimes it gets opened right after the honeymoon. Sometimes it gets opened even on the honeymoon. I've heard people say, on the second day of the honeymoon, I knew I'd made a mistake. Sometimes it's weeks or months or maybe even years, maybe seven years before the luggage gets opened. But eventually, it's going to get opened. And here's what you find when you open it. Or here's why it often is opened. Eventually, the suitcase gets opened because there's a, there's a conflict, perhaps, over money. You spend too much, you, you, you're trying to save too much, and, and there's this conflict over money, and the suitcase gets opened. Or maybe there's a lack of romance and and the marriage is just kind of wilting and dying. And Maybe it's a a lack of sex and there's this this conflict, this turmoil about that. Or maybe there's different priorities and you're striving for one thing and she's striving for something else. Or maybe it's addictions. You found out that he's addicted to porn or she's addicted to pain pills or, or he's addicted to alcohol. Or maybe it's a communication problem. You just can't seem to talk anymore. It's just fighting and cussing one another. Or or maybe it's in the area of sexual purity. You found out that she cheated on you or he cheated on you. Or, Or maybe it's a disagreement over how to raise the children. But sometime, somewhere, the truth is, the luggage is going to get open. And the sin we drag around will one day be exposed. Here's the reason that's important. We really don't have marriage problems. What we really have are sin problems. Think about that. And rather than dealing with our sins, rather than dealing with our sin problems, we tell ourselves that the reason we're not happy in marriage is because we chose the wrong one. We chose the wrong person. And people will tell us, and we like it when they say it to us, people will tell us that you need to re-choose. You need to start over. The only way for you to be happy is to go look for somebody else. Here's the only problem with that, or one of the problems with that. When they tell you the only way you're going to be happy is to go look for somebody else, go start over, and you go looking for somebody else. But guess what you take with you? You take it into that relationship, and statistics say that when you take it into that relationship, second marriages, 60 to 67% of second marriages end in divorce. It's because we didn't leave all this stuff behind. We never dealt with it. We just take it with us into the next bad relationship. You take it into a third relationship, 73% of those marriages end in divorce. Now, it might surprise you to know that Jesus actually talked about this. He actually addressed the issue of divorce, even in the days of Jesus. Open the Bible, go to the New Testament book of Mark, chapter 10. Mark, chapter 10. Beginning in verse 2. Some Pharisees came and tested him by asking, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Now the word lawful there indicates, they're not trying to ask, is it lawful legally? These are religious people. These are Pharisees. They're wanting to know, is it lawful in the eyes of God? Is it okay in the eyes of God to divorce someone? Is it lawful to divorce? And the word divorce there has the idea of one becoming two again. Is it lawful in the eyes of God to divorce, for a man to divorce his wife? Verse 3, I love what Jesus did. Jesus pointed them back to Scripture. When they asked this question, He pointed them back to Scripture because Scripture should always be our ultimate authority, our final authority. And Jesus said, what did Moses command you? He replied. Verse 4, they said Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. Verse 5, it was because your hearts were hard that Moses wrote you this law, Jesus replied. Jesus was simply explaining here, well, let me explain this whole idea about divorce in the Old Testament uh, that Moses wrote about. He explained that the law of Moses was written to protect the wife, usually the wife, from, from a husband who flippantly would toss her out and she had nowhere to go and no one to take care of her. And without a certificate of divorce, something official, she would become a social outcast. She would have no standing in the community. She'd have no way to get married again. She would be treated like a harlot and no way to take care of herself. So the purpose of the law of Moses was not to make divorce acceptable. The purpose of the law of Moses was to reduce the hardship and its consequences. But I want you to focus on what Jesus said in verse 5. It was because your heart's were hard that Moses wrote you this law. In other words, translation, listen, the reason Moses wrote this down, the reason we even have this situation about divorce is because we are all sinners. We all have a sin problem. And because we have a sin problem, Moses had to write this about marriage. So the divorce question has been around for a long, long time, hasn't it? I mean, think about that. At least since the days of Moses... Men and women have struggled to stay in a marriage that no longer feels like a marriage. This is not a new problem you're having. This is not a new problem that you're experiencing. At least since the days of Moses in Deuteronomy. At least since that far back. Men and women have struggled to stay together. They started out in love and struggled to stay together. Right now some of you probably feel like divorce is your only option you don't love them anymore, you made a mistake, you married the wrong person, divorce is your only option. I mean, you've tried to make it work, right? And, and you've gone for counseling for a few times, and, and that was a disaster. And when you try to talk, all you do is fight, and, and you think that he or she may have found somebody else, and you're physically tired, emotionally drained, uh, you've thought it through, and you've decided divorce is your only option. If being single again looks attractive to you. I've got a question I want you to ask yourself. Before you run to the lawyer. I've got a question I want you to ask yourself. This is not a question that's an easy question. I will warn you it is a hard question. And if you ask and answer this question though. I promise you this. It will clarify and simplify this situation you're facing. This is the question that not many couples have the courage to Ask. This is the question that I hope you as a couple will finally take the time to pause and wrestle with the difficult issue. Here's the question Does God think that divorce is my only option? Would you say that with me? Does God think, say that loud, does God think that divorce is my only option? Does God think? Now I'm not asking your friends, you, you already know what they think. I'm not asking about your family, you already know what they think. I'm not asking about your co-workers or your neighbors, you already know what they think. The question I'm asking you to ask yourself is this, does God think that divorce is my only option? See the focus of that question is God. Here's the question we prefer. Does God expect me to be happy or to be unhappy the rest of my life? That's the question we like to ask. I mean, you know, does God really expect me to be unhappy the rest of my life? And, and, but, but the focus of that question is you, isn't it? The question I think that is a better question is Does God think that divorce is my only option? Let's look at what Jesus said. Let's see how he answers that. Beginning in verse 6. He said in verse 5, Moses wrote this law for a reason. Then he says in verse 6, but at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. He made one for another. It's like they were made for each other. Verse 7, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united with his wife. That's God's design. Verse 8, and the two will become one flesh. That's that's man's greatest privilege and God's design, the two becoming one So they are no longer two, but one. Verse 9, therefore, what God has joined together, let man not separate. I know that you may be in a mess right now. I know that you may not be able to stand each other right now. I know that you are fussing and fighting right now. But would you please stop and ask this honest question? Does God think that divorce is my only option? If you decide that the answer is no. Then that will motivate you. To turn to God. And say okay. You're going to have to help me. You see the real issue is not. How can I get out of this? That's not the issue. The issue is not. How can I get out of this? The issue is. How did I get here? How did I get here? That's the issue. And before you tell me about what he did wrong and what she did wrong and, and all the bad stuff that they brought into the marriage and what an awful person he was an awful person she was before you tell me about all of those things that probably are true would you be willing to admit that you're at least partially to blame for the problems in your marriage and you say well yeah, I, yeah I'm partially to blame but, but I'm telling you my, it's, it's not that much I, I understand that Maybe your suitcase looks more like this one. You know, this, this is your, your luggage, right? Now, now, the reason that you're having problems or, or all of those kind of things is because his looks like this, or hers looks like this, but now yours, yours is not that bad, right? Yours is a whole lot smaller than his. true but here's what you need to understand if you have the temptation to leave him or leave her and all of their baggage and you go looking for someone else guess what you take with you You see, until you stop and deal with what's in the suitcase, you'll always have problems. The reason that it goes from I love you to I don't love you anymore is because we're sinners. We're sinners, but we don't often deal with our sin. Now, before you think that I am self righteous and I'm above you and I think that I'm better and all, can I be very honest and very blunt with you? Folks, I've got my suitcase too. I've got my struggles too. I've got my junk too. I want you to understand that. And the more you get to know me, the more you will appreciate and admire my wife. It's true. Let me pause here and assure you that i am not trying to condemn anybody i'm not trying to criticize anybody and i know this is not a popular question and i hate to ask you to ask yourself this question but it is a powerful question and the question again is this does god think that divorce is my only option when i read the scripture to me the answer is no Because God is the one who brought man and woman together. And and God said the two will become flesh. And and God says there's no longer two but one. And God says therefore what God has joined together. Let man not separate. No God says there's another option. You may not like it right now. You may not believe it will work right now. But there's another option. And here's what I want to tell you. That you may not be ready to hear. And you may not believe it right now. But here's what you need to know. Grace makes new beginnings possible. Ask God to help you work on the 10% that's in your suitcase. See, you can't do a thing about everything that's in his suitcase or her suitcase. But what you can do is say, Okay, God, I'm going to get on my knees, and I'm going to open this thing. And God, I need you to help me to deal with the 10% that's in my suitcase. An amazing thing is this. When you start dealing with the 10% in your suitcase, and God begins to change your heart you begin to believe that just maybe God can change his heart. When you start seeing God bring about change in your life, you begin to believe that maybe God can bring about change in her life. See, to deal with the heart of marriage, you have to deal with the heart of sin. So, Pastor Keith, I know what you're trying to do and I understand what you're saying, but I've got to tell you something. I don't love him anymore I don't love her anymore that doesn't mean you should get a divorce it just shows you where you need to start before you go to the lawyer before you talk to your friends and get their advice before you write me an email and tell me how impossible your situation is I wish you would read one more verse verse 27 Mark chapter 10, verse 27. Here's what it says. Jesus looked at them and said, With man, this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Now, to stay true to the text, he's talking about salvation. He's talking about the issue where the disciples are saying, Listen, if a rich man can't get saved, who can't get saved? And, and he says in response to that, talking about salvation, With man, this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Here's my point. If you can trust God for salvation, if it's possible that God can take a sinner and bring them into salvation, if if that's possible with God, anything is possible with God. If you can trust God for your salvation, why can't you trust Him with what's in the suitcase? Why can't you trust Him to work in His heart or her heart so that they'll get to the point where they say, Oh God, I need to talk to you about this stuff. I need to deal with this stuff. Because God. I don't love him anymore. I don't love her anymore. Every marriage starts out in love. But not every marriage ends that way. Two sinners. Married to one another. And when they said, I do, it did not undo what was in the suitcase. So would you pray with me about that? Join me together as we pray. Brother, I understand that today we are in desperate need of you, need of your grace and your mercy and your forgiveness. And God... I pray for those that are struggling in crisis marriages, that they are in a a tough situation. Uh, They are experiencing anger, perhaps even right now. And there there is that despising in their hearts, as there was in the heart of Michael for David. Lord, would you work in each of our lives, in each of our hearts, so that you can work in our homes. And would you convince us that divorce is not the only option, that there is another option if we'll deal with what's in our suitcase. And I pray that in Christ's name.